is all we need. Lift up a heart of praise. Sing now with voices raised to Jesus. Sing to the King. For His returning, we'll watch and we pray. Join in singing with all the redeemed. Satan is vanquished and Jesus is king. So come, let us sing a song, a song declaring we belong to Jesus. He's all we need. Lift up a heart of praise. Sing now with voices raised to Jesus. Sing to the Oh God. 
morning. It's on testing, testing. Hey, it's a good morning today. We are uh, celebrating some of our graduating seniors today, and so we're going to do that right after the welcome, um, celebrate their accomplishments and um, I don't know, their life, I guess. So uh, if you would, though, make each one uh, of us feel welcome. Just walk around, greet one another. school seniors, if you'll just come stand right up here so everybody can gaze upon your beauty. Um, while they come, I did want to mention a number of others in our church who have recently graduated uh, from college or a master's degree. So Miss Katie Stover, uh, I don't know where she's at, but she just she just finished her master's in school counseling from Lamar University. And uh, Miss Madison Bozeman uh, just graduated with uh, an Associates of Arts in Criminal Justice from Angelina College. Miss Hannah Jane Werner, her sister, uh, has just <laughs> just graduated with her Associated Associates of Applied Science in Emergency Medical Service Services. Sorry, I missed a letter from Wharton County Junior College. So, congrats. Um, Jeannie and Kevin's son, Dusty Burnett, just graduated from Stephen F. Austin. I don't see them. Um, Dusty graduated with a Bachelor's of Arts in Criminal Justice with a minor in Military Science. And then Stacy and Glenn's son, uh, Jesse Youngblood, just graduated from University of North Texas. I'm going to try to get this one right. A Bachelor of Science in Integrative Studies with a focus on business, nonprofit, and social psychology. So, wow. I don't know if you get more credit for more words, or <laughs> I don't know. I don't know how that works. Uh, are there any others that we've left out? Those are the people that came to mind, people in our church that have graduated recently. Anybody I'm missing out on? Okay. So this morning we get to honor some of our high school graduates, and first we have Miss Ashley Torres. If you just come up here so everybody can really see you, uh, Ashley, where is your family? I don't know where they sit yet. Oh, they're right back here, right back. They are from Florida and have just moved here in the last uh, little while, and so Ashley uh, listed her favorite high school memory was actually in Florida, attending. Uh, Health Occupation Students of America, and she was pinned as a medical assistant uh, when they live, where they lived in Port St. Lucie, is that right? Port St. Lucie? 
That's a heck of a name for a town. So uh, she plans on going to Palm Beach State College back in Florida. What town is that in? West Palm Beach. Beach. That sounds nice. Um, (laughs) And she wants to be a physical therapist. So this is Ashley. (laughs) You can stand wherever you would like. Maybe over here. Uh, Next we have Aaron Willis. And Aaron's family is back here, Melissa and Sean and Hunter somewhere in the back. I like it. I like it. Nice seat. Um, Aaron's favorite high school memory was going with the high step. Oh, I'm sorry. We got ants. Crazy ant. Sorry. Sorry. My bad. I thought they just really loved Aaron. Um, <laughs> her favorite high school memory was going to New York City, dancing in the Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade with all the high steppers. And Aaron plans to attend Stephen F. Austin State University in Nacogdoches and double major in deaf education and interdisciplinary studies. So, over here. Next up, we have Joe Mitchell. I see parents in the back, Jody and Amy. And uh, Joe's favorite memories from high school. This is according to your mom, so I don't know if you actually... This is your favorite, just kidding, no, it's competing with his DI, Destination Imagination Team at Global Finals. Was that last year? Is that right? Sophomore year. And as well as being cast in every theater production available in all four years of high school. So that's awesome. Um, You're not done. Joe has been accepted to Stephen F. Austin State University and has auditioned for and received one of the only 18 spots in their theater department for incoming freshmen, which is awesome. And you guys are quick on the clap this morning. Y'all are just getting it. Uh, He's going to pursue a degree in theater uh, with a minor in graphic design, and he wants to be on Broadway one day. So keep your eyes out for him. So there you go, man. And last but not least, we have Haley Palmer. Parents are David and Deborah Palmer. Haley listed a number of highlights, so some of her top highlights were being voted homecoming queen this year. Uh, In track, she made district, area, and regionals, all four years of high school, correct, in the 800 meter, and also the 4x100 relay, which those are no jokes for races. So uh, she's also proud of being in the top 10, I think number two, right? Is that right? Number two in her graduating class. So (laughs) Haley... Haley will be attending my alma mater, Texas A&M University, and plans to major in biology. So I did not major in biology, though. So uh, anyway, that's Haley Palmer. So I want to pray for them. If you would, stand with me and and just join me in prayer, and then we'll continue worship just as they uh, venture out into new, new things. So God, we pray for these seniors. Uh, thank you for their lives so far. I pray that you would just uh, be with them, guide their steps, um, prepare them for what's ahead. God, I pray that uh, their time in all the different places they're going would be fruitful, God, that their educations would go well. And we pray that you would just uh, be with them, continue uh, to be in their hearts and be at the center of their lives. God, we love you. We pray all this in your son's name. Amen. Amen. You can be seated.
Seems to hide his face, 
on His unchanging grace In every high and stormy gale My anchor holds within the veil My anchor holds within the veil Christ alone, cornerstone, weak made strong, in the Savior's love, through the storm, He is Lord, Lord of all, Christ alone. He is Lord, Lord of all. He shall come with trumpet sound. Oh, may I then. In him be found, just in his righteousness alone, faultless stand before the
give life You are love You bring light to the darkness You give hope You restore Every heart that is broken Great are you
myself on video, so, uh, especially as I'm standing on stage. Uh, this morning, uh, these graduating students are kind of a picture for us, uh, and they're kind of a, a way for us to kind of evaluate our lives as Christians. So there's a professor at uh, Biola University. His name is Bill Hull. Biola is a Christian university in, uh, in Southern California, and Bill Hull uh, has been a professor there for a while, and uh, he's really devoted his life to discipleship, which is what we're talking about today. In one of his recent classes, uh, I guess Professor Hull showed up, and as most professors do on the first day, they hand you a syllabus, they tell you there'll be three tests, two papers, and an impossible final, and you're going to fail my class, and uh, you know, just the normal stuff, right? And that day, uh, in a recent class, Bill Hull stood up, and instead of telling him that, here's what he, he told him. He said, uh, after every class this semester, you're going to find one person, and you're going to teach them everything that I taught you that week. Okay, this seems rather easy. Uh, this will continue for the entire semester. And so they're a little bit shocked. That's not what they expected. They'd rather write two papers and take three tests, I think. 
And uh, he told him at the end of the semester, on the day of the final, that person is going to come to class and they'll take the final exam for you. So you actually won't take any tests this semester. Uh, just the person that you taught every week, they'll show up and they'll take the final for you. Your grade depends on how well you can invest what you learn in another person. Now, how many of us in here, by show of hands, think that you would pass that class? <laughs> Nobody? Nobody trusts anybody else to take a test for them, do they? Whew, we're in trouble this morning. Uh, I don't know. I read about this in a book of, about discipleship that we're reading as a staff, and I think it's such a clear picture for us as Christians, right? Um, we, we often think that the test in our Christian life is how much knowledge we can accumulate, right? How many facts we know about the Bible, how many experiences we had with God. But I think it's more like Bill Hull's class, right? The, the ultimate test for us as a church to be faithful to what Jesus has told us to do is how well we pass it on to others, right? And I think those parents who are sending their kids out right now are thinking that, you know what? This is the real test. And we're about to find out how well we pass this on to them. So that's my question this morning. How well are we doing at that as a church, right? Because I think as a group of people, uh, we are busy about all kinds of good and even great activities. Uh, we, we come in here and we meet regularly, we worship, we, we pray, we study the Bible in here and in other places. Uh, we have, uh, I think, a a pretty good reputation in this community for good works with the food pantry and most excellent way and all kinds of other teachers that are making an impact and all sorts of things. We have a lot of things, but my question is, that's not really, that's not a question, but my statement is, is that's not even the test. The test isn't how much we know because we don't come to the final and take that test. Someone else takes it for us. The test is how well we pass it on to others. That's what discipleship is is. So this time slot uh, in this, the, the church calendar is always where the youth minister gets to preach, and some of you are excited about that, and some of you are wishing he didn't show up today, uh, and that's okay. I'm not offended. But for, for these families, it's a season, uh, as their students graduate, it's a season of excitement. It's a season of fear. Uh, it's a season of a lot of emotion. Amy Mitchell is shedding tears as she sits on the back pew today. Uh, why? Right? Because these students are about to take off and, and go different places to, to schools and to trainings and to jobs and to lives, right? And they're going to make their own choices. They're going to get to decide what they do on their own, right? And this is the test for parents, right? And it's a scary test, right? A little bit because you go, are we going to pass? Are, we gonna, are they going to live in a way that's a good reflection on how I raise them, right? And I feel that pressure as a dad of two below the age of two a little bit. I'm thinking, man, that, that day is not far away where my kids will be leaving. They're going to take the test for me, not me, right? That's what discipleship is. I think it's a time for us, not just for these families, to kind of reflect and, and to celebrate, right? It's a good thing. Um, but it's a time for us as a church to reflect on that, right? This is Jesus' main and last command to us as his followers, was to go and make disciples. Let's look at it in Matthew 28, verses 19 and 20. Jesus said a lot of things. They recorded all of them, a lot of them. 
And this is his final words as he's leaving the earth. It's kind of a focus to their lives. Here's the direction you should go. Verse 19 and 20, he says, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. Jesus said a lot of things. He commanded us to do a lot of things. And I don't mean to discount all of those other commands, but I think as he's leaving, he knows it can be a little overwhelming, and so he directs them to one thing. It's not to go, it's not to teach, it's not to baptize. It's to make disciples. It's wherever you go, make disciples. As you are going, make disciples. Yes, we're called to love people. Yes, we're called to do good works. Yes, we're called um, to, be, to give generously and all sorts of other things that Jesus commanded. But he, he, he focuses us and he says all those things are about this, making disciples. Paul picks up on this from Timothy a number of years later. Paul was a, a church planner, radically converted, we know this. And he had taken some guys under his wings to become pastors and church planners and, and just everyday folks who were reaching people. And he writes these letters to a young pastor named Timothy. And he gives him some instructions. He kind of clarifies, here's what you need to be doing. And here's what he says in 2 Timothy uh, chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. He says this. He says, you then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Jesus Christ. And we all go amen, right? Yes, yes, I want God to fill up my life. I want to be filled up with strength. I want to be full of God. We all want what God wants for us, right? He says, do that. Be strengthened by the grace that is in Jesus Christ. But he goes on. That's not the end of it. He says, and what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. See, it's not just about what God pours into our lives, right? The ultimate test is we got to pass it on. It's not just what God gives me. It's that I'm supposed to pass it on. He says, entrust these things to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. This is, this is so clearly the biblical model. And we're going to see it in a, a number of examples today in Scripture. And then we're going to see it in some examples from life. Um, that show that this is how we're supposed to live. It's not just about God filling my life and, and me feeling good. Ultimately, it's about us passing it on to the next generation or to whoever. It may be someone in the older generation, but it's about passing it on. It's not about how much, we can, how much knowledge and experiences we can collect. It's ultimately about passing it on. That's the test. It's not about learning all the facts and taking the test yourself. It's about learning it, passing it on, and they take the test for us. That's the biblical model. That's discipleship. I was talking to Josh Lester recently. I don't see him here today. I did talk to him before and make sure this is okay if I shared. And Josh just popped in my office the other day, and he was off, and uh, he was just telling me about stuff. He just walked in, and if you know Josh, he just walks in, and he starts talking. So uh, you just listen and uh, encourage him. And be encouraged by him. And now Josh, if you know a little bit about his life, he's had some life happen in the last year, him and Sarah and the kids, and not in a good way. Um, and when Josh finally hit his breaking point, his, his, the lowest he ever got, he made this decision that he wanted to get out of that. That he didn't want to allow substances, he didn't want to allow anything to control his life, to ruin his life. And he desired 
he desired that, and so what he knew from being around this was it required one thing. And it wasn't him making up his mind. It wasn't him doing this or that. He, the thing he said that was the key to his success in, in living a sober life was this. He told me that he had to find somebody to sponsor him. He had to find somebody who had been in that journey before that was, that was years sober that would sponsor him. That would, uh, he, would, he said he talks to them every day. He, uh, when they say, man, I, I did it like this, he does it like that. When they give him wisdom, he follows it, right? And he says, I have to be in that person's life, and I have to learn from them and imitate their ways. Now, he did not know I was preaching a sermon about discipleship. He just walked into my office and told me this. He knew that if he was going to be successful, he had to have somebody that was helping him. Now, the Christian life is no different, right? The Christian life is absolutely no different. If, if we're going to really walk closely to Jesus, it requires having somebody a little further along than us. It requires having somebody that's been there and done that, that we can learn from and imitate their ways, right? That's what discipleship is. Now, here's the, here's the, the thing I loved about what Josh had to say was this. He, he came in my office and he told me about his sponsor and this and that. But then he said, yeah, I just, I just tried to go talk to this guy and I'm about to go meet this other guy. And there are two guys that are coming out of similar situations to him. Two guys that are literally coming right out of it. And he was going, I know I need to be that for them. I need to go reach out to them, help them, take them under my wing to help them, right? See, Josh wasn't just concerned about him and his family and getting his own stuff. He goes, man, there's others like that that I need to go reach out to. And that's it, right? It's not just about receiving and getting and holding on to this knowledge or experiences. It's about passing it on. And ultimately, Josh is helping those, those two young men, but ultimately he's helping himself because he's, having, he's holding himself accountable to them. He's, he's passing it on, and that's where he finds life and freedom. I want you to see this in Scripture before I talk about two examples from life. So if you would, flip to... Uh, 2 Corinthians in your Bible. 2 Corinthians, it's right after 1 Corinthians, right before 3 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians chapter, oh, that's not a book, I'm sorry. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 3 and 4. See, this is the biblical model. God pours into our lives, not so that we can hold on to it, but so that we can pass it on to others. We see it so clearly in a bunch of different ways. 2 Corinthians 1, verses 3 and 4, he says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our affliction. All right, we love that, just like the other. We, we, want to be, we want to worship a God who's there and present, and he's comforting us in all of our afflictions. Praise be to God. He comforts me, right? But it doesn't stop there. He says this, this key word, so that. So that. Why does God comfort us? So that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. You see, it's not just about receiving. It's not just about filling up our life with comfort from God. That's great. Praise be to God that he does comfort us in our afflictions. But he says it's for one purpose. So that you can go and comfort others who are in any affliction. If it's ultimately about us, it doesn't lead to success. God says he, he, he gives us comfort so that we can be a comfort to others. 
flipping your Bibles to uh, Genesis, all the way back to the very beginning. Genesis chapter 12. Genesis chapter 12. Same principle, different scenario. Genesis chapter 12. God comes to Abram and he tells him some amazing things. And here's what he says. Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. He says, And I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great. Like, wouldn't we love to be told that by God, right? Yes, you're going to make me great. You're going to bless me. But it doesn't stop there. Again, it's not just about what we get. He says, so that, same word, so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Just like before, we receive comfort from God so that we can comfort others. Same thing with Abraham. He says, I will, give you, I will bless you and make you a great nation. We receive blessing from God not just so that it terminates on our life and we feel better about ourselves. He says, I will bless you so that you will be a blessing. We're not just meant to be the end point and just hold all of this comfort and blessing. No, we're meant to pass it on. We're meant to pass it on. Let's look at one more example. Hebrews chapter 12, close to the end. Hebrews chapter 12. I'm sorry, Hebrews chapter 5, verses 12 and following. Hebrews chapter 5, verses 12 through 6, 1. He says this. It says, For though by this time you ought to be teachers... You need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food. That's an insult, by the way, right? To say you're a baby. <laughs> you need milk. You can't handle solid food. You need, he's saying there ought to be this maturity that's happening in your life that, that you're passing it on. You're teaching others. But he's saying, no, no, no. You're so far back. You need to be taught. Keeps going, verse 13. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness since he is a child. But solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. Therefore, let us leave the elementary doctrine of Christ and go on to maturity. Not laying, a, I'm sorry, we'll stop there. Let us go on to maturity. So I think what the author of Hebrews, and he's talking about kind of a different issue here. He's talking about apostasy, which we're not going to address. But what he's saying is this. He's saying we're meant to mature in the faith. And part of being a mature Christian is that we don't just receive, we pass it on. He's saying you, you, you're, you need milk. You're not, even, you're not even ready for solid food. And he's saying this, you're not mature. Because maturity is this, is that you ought to be teaching others. You ought to be training others. You ought to be passing on to others what you've received. It's not just about what you learn and what you get. Ultimately, it's about what you pass on. Right? This is what discipleship is. Right? It's, not, it's not a fringe concept in the Bible. It's very central to what God says about us as believers, that we're meant to mature. We're meant to pass it on. We could look at a bunch of other examples related to money, right? If we're selfish, then we just get money and we just hold on to it. But we're meant to be generous, right? We're meant to tithe. We're meant to do all these things. If we terminate on ourselves, we're not living the way God would have us to. We're meant to sacrifice, right, for the sake of others. It's not just about us. It's not just about what I get out of the situation. No, ultimately, it's about what others get. It's about passing it on. We could look at a bunch of other examples in Scripture, 
Um, but here's what I know. Some of you, when I just read scripture, you go, ah, right? Or my, my youth do that. They kind of just zone out sometimes. No offense. It, it can be troublesome sometimes. But what I do know is this, is that God has created the world in such a way to teach us about himself, right? So he, he didn't just give us his word and then it doesn't match up with the world. He created the world in such a way that it teaches us about himself and about us. So I want to give you two examples of this. Um, one's on a big scale and then one's really tiny. Um, so we're going to look at uh, the difference between the Dead Sea and the Jordan River. Uh, Peyton, can we show the map first? Now, the Dead Sea is uh, on the southeastern portion of Israel. And some of you, when I said southeast, you went, ah, right, because you don't do directions. If, if they tell you to go north, and then when you hit there, turn west, that means that you might as well just say, like, blah, 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 blah. That's what Hudson says right now. Bucka, bucka. That's his word. We don't know what it means, but he says, bucka, bucka, all the time. When I say direction, some of you go, I don't know what that means. So the Dead Sea is on the bottom, all right? <laughs> and Israel's on the left, and the Jordan River's on the right, and the Sea of Galilee's on top. It's about to fall on the head, right? It's in the north. The Dead Sea is the lowest point below sea level of any place on land in the earth. Right? So it's 1,400 feet below sea level. New Orleans is famous for being a city situated below sea level, but it's just a few feet. Uh, this is 1,400 feet below sea level, the Dead Sea. Now, if you don't know anything about water, it doesn't go up. Right? It doesn't flow uphill. I have a, a yard right now that I'm trying to flow water uphill. And so I basically have a pond for a front yard right now when it does rain. Water flows down. Right? So the Dead Sea is situated so low, there is nowhere for it to go. It only receives water, but it never has an outlet. The only way water can get out of the Dead Sea is to evaporate. Now what happens is this. Water comes from the Jordan River, all the way from the Sea of Galilee, flows south from the Jordan River, all the way to the Dead Sea. And that water is not perfectly clean. It's carrying all sorts of salts and minerals and different things. And what's happened over time, some of you are like, I don't do geography, Byron. It's okay. Stick with me. Th that water is carrying all sorts of minerals and salts, and it's dumping it into the Dead Sea every day, every day, right? But there's nowhere for it to go, nowhere for it to leave. So the Dead Sea has accumulated an inordinate, uncomparable amount of salt and minerals, right? And so what's happened is this. The Dead Sea now is ten times as salty as regular ocean water, just your average run-of-the-mill Galveston Beach ocean water, right? Ten times as salty. So if you know anything about physics, Peyton, can we show the picture? It takes zero effort to float, right? This is the Dead Sea. Uh, you have to give effort to go underwater. There's so much salt in it, you can sit on the surface, which is pretty cool, good tourist attraction, um, except for the fact that around the Dead Sea, nothing can grow. Can we show the next pictures? This is a picture of the Dead Sea, and it's stunning, right? It's, it's beautiful in its own way, uh, but what you don't notice, kind of looks like the shores of Sam Rayburn a little bit down there, um, with the flat, <laughs> but there is no vegetation anywhere. You got mountains, you got land, but there is no life. There are no fish, there is nothing in it. Because it's so salty, nothing uh, can 
draw life from the water, right? In a survival situation, if you're on the ocean and you start drinking salt water, you're quickening your death, right? You're, you're becoming more dehydrated. And it's, it's the same principle here. There is so much salt, so much uh, minerals in the water, there is no life. There's no life, which is why we call it the Dead Sea. Now, why? The water is totally stagnant. There's no outlet for it at all, except to evaporate and leave all of that salt behind. There is no flow. There's a ton going into it, a ton of minerals, ton of salt, ton of water flowing into it, but it never flows out. It never gets passed on. See, I think God made the Dead Sea on purpose to teach us something about himself, that if there is no outlet, if there is no passing it on, ultimately what happens is we become stagnant and there is no life in our environment around us. Now, I want to show you some pictures of the, of the Jordan River uh, and compare it. The Jordan River... Again, starts in the top, flows to the bottom, north to south. It's on the eastern border, the right border, depending on which way you're facing. I guess it's on the left if you're facing this way. Jordan River. You might think, well, maybe the Jordan River's just bad. Maybe it's got a bunch of salt. Let's show some pictures, Pate. The Jordan River uh, is a major source of water for Jordan, for Israel, for the West Bank, for the people, for the animals, for the vegetation. And this is a sample of the picture. We got a couple pictures, Pate. Can we just cycle through them. You can even, apparently, whitewater raft the Jordan River. Uh, you can fish. I read a blog this week about a guy catching rainbow trout out of the Jordan River, which is pretty cool. The Jordan River is a place of life. It's a place of life. Why? Because there's flow. Because it, it receives water, but then it passes it on. It, if, it, if it just held on to it, it'd become the Dead Sea, right? But it passes it on. And what happens is life exists Around it, the Jordan River is not stagnant, it's flowing, and so there's life. So what is the difference between these two? The Jordan River, Peyton, can we show the next one? What's the difference between the Jordan River and the Dead Sea? It's the same water. It's really the same water. It's flowing, one flows into the other. It's the same water, but one flows, one has an outlet where it, gets, where it passes it on, the other just holds on to it. One has life, the other one does not. See, when there is stagnation in our life, there is no life, right? If we're just receiving, if we're just holding on to everything that we've been taught, every blessing we've been given, every comfort we've received from God, and we never pass it on, we're just like the Dead Sea, right? There is no life in the environment around us, right? Now, we've been talking this year about Ignite. We've been talking about renewal. We've been talking about revival. We've been talking about um, all sorts of issues related to why we could be stagnant, why we could be stale, why we could be dry. And I'm going to submit this morning that I think one of the issues might be this right here. If you feel dry, if you feel stagnant, if you feel even dead spiritually, I think there's two things to check. Is there any flow in, right? If the, if the Jordan River were to dry up, for whatever reason, all those plants, all those animals would not be supported. There would not be life, right? It's the same in our life. If there's not any flow in from God, if we're not actively studying his word, if we're not spending time in prayer, if we don't have a relationship with him that's active and living, of course there's no life, right? That's one place to check, but the other one that we don't talk about is this. Are you passing it on? 
to someone else, to someone's else? Are you helping someone else in their walk? Because if you're not, you're becoming the Dead Sea. You're stagnant, you're stuck, and eventually there will be no life around you, right? I think that's a challenge for us today. Is there flow? Are we passing it on? Now, some of you are like, Byron, I don't do rivers. I don't know about salt. So maybe this analogy will connect with you, okay? I think God, again, made the world in such a way to teach us about himself. So I started looking, and this is for all my health people. Anybody, raise your hand if we got some health uh, professions in here. You're a nurse, or you're a doctor, or you work. Okay, one. All right, two. My aunt and my neighbor. Okay. Um, some of you know this anyway. I want to look at blood. Blood. And I, to be honest, I didn't know anything about this, Tammy Hughes, when I started researching. So please, come correct me at the end when I say something that's wrong, okay? Just, just correct me. Just gently, okay? Um, blood is amazing. Blood is, is made up of lots of different things. I, don't, I think it's actually blue in your body, but when it exposes itself to oxygen, it turns red. Uh, but one of the reasons it's red is because of the cells that are in it. Now, blood is like 45% red blood cells. Red blood cells have one job, kind of two. They carry oxygen from your lungs to every part of your body so that your muscles can work, so that your brain can think, and then they carry CO2, carbon dioxide, back to the lungs so then it can be expelled, exhaled, not expelled, that's in school, exhaled from your body, right? Because CO2 is not good for your muscles and your brain. So red blood cells make up a good portion of this. They're amazing. You got white blood cells. They're only 1% of your blood, very small part of your blood. And uh, they actually have a lifespan of about a day, according to the articles I was reading. They only live for a day, but they have a very important function, which is to fight infection. So they get sent to different parts of the body that, that have an infection or have a disease or whatever, and they're fighting against infection in your body. You also have platelets in your blood, um, which are part of the process of helping with clotting. And then you have plasma, which I just put it in my own terms. It's kind of the vehicle that carries it all. It just holds it all to, together. It does some other stuff too, but we don't have time. And I didn't figure it out. So um, that's, that's what I'm going to use as my excuse this morning. Now here's, let's, I want to look at red blood cells specifically, okay? Red blood cells are amazing. Um, they, they are created in your bone marrow, right? In, the inside of your bones is where they are uh, created from these processes, and they mature in two days. It takes two days for a blood cell, red blood cell, to be created and be out in your bloodstream, carrying oxygen, doing work, right? Two days is all it takes. And then once they're in the bloodstream, the average lifespan is 120 days for a red blood cell, about four months, which is fairly long, but eventually it wears out and it's done. I, when I read that 120 number, when I read that 120 number this week, I couldn't help but think of, of Genesis where God says that, that he would limit the life of humans to 120 years, correct? Now, I don't think anyone in a, here, except maybe Ted Ivey, is living to 120 years. Uh, Ted will still remember his kindergarten teacher when he's 115. Uh, I couldn't help but think of that, right? We're here for such a short time, just like red blood cells. 
Those blood cells don't take long to mature and get out there and do their job. There's not junior red blood cells and then senior red blood cells who are really doing the work. Once they're two days old, they're out there doing it. They're carrying oxygen, carrying CO2. What's, what's amazing to me, your body is making two million red blood cells every second. It's just this continual process of producing red blood cells to do one job, which is to carry oxygen and CO2. That, I don't even, can't even understand. I don't know what two million blood cells looks like. It can't be that much. But red blood cells make up a quarter of your body. Now, you're, some of you are like, facts overload. I get it. I'm done. No more facts about red blood cells. Now, God created our bodies to work in this way, right? If red blood cells don't carry oxygen, then our body doesn't work, right? And when white blood cells don't do what they're supposed to do, our body doesn't work. Pete, can we show the next one? So there are a number of problems with blood. When, when the individual parts don't do what they were created to do, the whole body suffers. You get conditions like anemia, which means you're, you're not making enough red blood cells for some reason or another. There's all different kinds. But you, so you don't have enough red blood cells, so you don't have enough oxygen, so you feel tired. It can lead to all kinds of other problems. Uh, you've got lymphoma which is when white blood cells don't do what they were created to do, right? They develop into cancerous uh, cells that reproduce and do whatever they want. They don't listen to the body. They don't die when they're supposed to. They do whatever they want, and they take over, and it causes problems. See, when one part doesn't work properly, the whole body suffers. You've got leukemia, which is similar to lymphoma, but it's found, I think, in your bone marrow, correct? Okay, no one's giving me a nod, so I'm not real sure. It's another cancerous white blood cell problem. You also have hemophilia. Uh, Joe has hemophilia. I think you're the only person I've ever known who's had that. But it's where one part of the body doesn't work right, and it affects the whole body, right? It affects everything about your life, right? One part. It's supposed to clot. Blood is supposed to solidify so that no more blood flows out, right? But when one part of the body doesn't work, the whole body suffers. Now, I say all of that to get to this right here, Ephesians chapter 4, verses 15 and 16. Paul says this, rather speaking the truth in love, we're meant to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped. When each part is working properly, it makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. When one part of the body doesn't work right, it affects the whole body, and it's no different in the church. We're, we're called the body of Christ, and when one part doesn't work like it's supposed to, when it doesn't do the job that it's meant to do, then the whole body suffers. If red blood cells aren't made fast enough, the whole body suffers. If white blood cells develop can into cancerous uh, cells, then the whole body suffers. If, if platelets and plasma don't pl clot blood, then the whole body suffers, and it's no different for us. We've been given one task, church each of us, to go and make disciples. And when we don't do what we were created to do, when we wallow in immaturity, not passing it on to others, then the whole body suffers. And I don't say that because, because I want to see us become a church twice the size, and so I get some glory from that. I, I'm just looking at Scripture. This is what God has said, that when each of us do what God has called us to do, and his main thing he's called us to do is to make disciples, then the body has life. 
Each one of us have life individually, and the body has life. But when we aren't passing it on, we're just like the Dead Sea. We're, we're holding on to all this knowledge. We're holding on to all this experience, and we're not giving it up and passing it on to others. And what happens is the environment around us becomes dead. It's not full of life. See, I think if we want to see health, we want to see renewal, we want to see life, this is one of the things we've got to look at in our own individual life. Am I passing this on? Or am I just receiving and receiving and receiving? Because if we're not passing it on, then we won't see life. Each one of you is different, okay? Each one of you is different. These four seniors that stood on the stage, they've all got different aspirations in life, different skills, different abilities. Some want to be in health, some want to act, you know? I mean, there's really not any further opposite ends of the spectrum, right? We're all different. And so what making disciples looks like is different for all of us, right? But here's, here's my challenge to us today. We can't use our differences as an excuse for why we're not making disciples. The challenge is to look up. Look at your talents. Look at your skills. Look at your family. Look at your business. Look at your influence. God gave you that for a reason. God put you where he put you for a reason. And if you're a Christian, if you're a disciple, it's what? To make disciples. So, so my challenge to you, and it always will be, is to open your eyes. Look up. Who has God put in your life? Right? Parents of young kids, it's so clear. They're right in front of you every day. That is your job for the next 18, 20, some of you more than that years, right? To invest in them, to pour into them so that when they leave, they, tap, they pass the test for you. Right? That's, that's your clear mission field is those kids, parents of seniors that are graduating. You're not done. Like You're not done. You still have influence in their life. I think I've had more meaningful life conversations with my dad post-18 than I did before. I could be wrong. I'm making that up on the fly, but you're not done, right? Just because your kids are gone doesn't mean all of a sudden, okay, I'm done. No, no, God's given you influence in their lives and in others. You have more time now to invest in others. See, that's our job as, as maturing Christians is to pass it on, to make disciples who make disciples. Let me pray for us. If you would, stand with me. God, I pray for uh, each one of us individually as we just evaluate, God, where we're at. Are we doing what you called us to do? Are we, are we being effective at what you called us to do? Are we, are we receiving anything from you? Are you teaching us and guiding us and pouring into us, God? I pray that, God, if we're not, that you would challenge us to that this week. But then also, would we look at our own lives and say, are we passing it on? Is there any flow out? God, may we desire to have life and flourishing around us and in this church and in our families and all those places, God. And it only happens when we pass it on, when we seek to disciple others, God. God, I pray for each one of these seniors again as they venture out of here, God. May they be uh, students who love you, who desire to walk with you, and may they be disciple makers wherever they go. God, we love you and we pray all this in your son's name. Amen.